Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of Luke, chapter nine. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. If God's not with us, we can't go on, Moses said. So God tells him how to make this tabernacle, every detail, and the true presence of God is in the middle. Right? Remember that? Okay? Stay with me here. So the true presence of God is in the middle. And each of the tribes have their own standards. And when he says the leader to the north, south, east, west, they all have their banners. And one of them is Reuben, and his symbol is the face of a man. Ephraim is the ox. Dan is the eagle and Judah is the lion, the lion of Judah. And they line up with their banners to the east, to the south, to the north, to the west. Judah, the lion, the man, Reuben, the cow, Ephraim, and the eagle, Dan at this time. So here they go. And when you count it out and people have done this and it says in the book of numbers, how many thousand were each in each thing, the shape would have looked like a cross and what's in the center, the true presence of God, the true presence of God and the priesthood. The true presence of God, the priests didn't have their own tribe, so they don't, aren't going to own any land. They always are around the true presence of God. So this is what's going to march through the desert wilderness to try to get to the promised land. And the true presence of God will be in the middle, surrounded by these standards of the Jews, these four things. Now Ezekiel has a vision. And we studied this. It was the 30th year in the fourth month of his ministry, fifth day of the month, and he was by the river Chabar. Remember? The heavens were opened, and I saw what? Visions of God. He's going to get a vision of the heavenly throne room of God. He looks out. A stormy wind came up. Great cloud brightness around about it. Fire flashing continually in the midst of the fire, gleaming bronze. And from the midst of it came the likeness of what? Four living creatures. Four living creatures. And their appearance, they had the form of a man. They had four faces. Each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. And under their wings, they had four sides. And they had human hands. And the four faces and wings, and the wings touched one another. Okay? And as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man in front. The four had the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle. Hmm. Okay, that is what he's seeing around the throne of God in heaven. That's the true presence of God. And he's seeing these four living creatures with these four different faces. The four living creatures are the same as the banners in the desert around the true presence of God. The four living creatures. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy cool. It's crazy awesome. It's crazy mystery. And then a New Testament guy saw it. John, 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 the evangelist. He had a vision on the, on Patmos in the book of Revelation. He saw the heavenly worship. Lo, in heaven, the door opened. The first voice I heard speaking, a trumpet blew. And it said, come up hither. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And lo, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So he's too seeing the throne room of heaven. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like a flying eagle. Same thing. Same thing that Ezekiel saw. The four faces. The four different things. 
the man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle, and the four living creatures, each with six eyes, full of eyes, all round within, day and night, never cease singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. So around the heavenly throne where the true presence of the Almighty God was, John saw these four living creatures. What is this? Same thing that Moses had in the desert and Ezekiel had when he saw the throne room. And Revelation says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And they sing, worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou did create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. Twenty-four elders around the throne. Twenty-four. Why twenty-four? Twelve and twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve new apostles. All around the throne of the living God. Twelve and twelve is twenty-four. Jesus told the 12 in Luke 22, you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 and 12, 24, worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou did create all things. So what is this? This is what we do when we join that heavenly choir at mass, because this is where heaven meets earth on the altar of the Lord, where the true presence of God is. This is why we sing the Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Because we're having a connection with the heavenly throne room of God in the heavens. And we see the four living creatures around the throne of God and the 24 elders bowing down, offering their crowns. It's the highest prayer of the church and it's called Mass. And just like in the desert encampment where the true presence of God was, the priests are around it. The priests are around the true presence of God and he, they come in to mass and they kiss the altar where, where this is going to, uh, we're going to commemorate this event. The true presence of God. This is the sacrificial table where the Paschal feast is going to take place where heaven and earth are going to kiss right here. And the priests venerate the altar. And then there's something else there. The living word of God. The true presence of God in the word. And that is also going to be venerated because the living word with the four living creatures on the front of the book, the priest or the ordained deacon, only an ordained can read the gospel in the Catholic church. It is that preeminent. It is that special that only an ordained person can proclaim it. Sometimes we incense it. People stand to hear the gospel out of respect. And the priest or the deacon gives it a holy kiss to seal the word, to venerate the word after it has been proclaimed to the people. And the four living creatures are on the front of the book. The gospel is the word of Jesus. And it still has power within it. It's living word and it can transform lives. Because it's Jesus. He became flesh, the word, and dwelt among us. But his word is still powerful today. It is his true presence and it's powerful. So just as Christ became the living word made flesh... The faithful, we are also supposed to do the same. We consume the word, we digest the word, and then we're to live the word, go out and preach the word, right? Amen? These four living creatures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded the word of Jesus. Paul's letters are to other people. These are the words of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is so important in our church. These four living creatures recorded the words of Jesus himself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and each evangelist has a symbol. 
They're the living creatures. My church, St. Margaret Mary's, it has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then above it, a man, a lion, an ox, an eagle. Because the four living creatures are always around the true presence of God, and there's the tabernacle. The four living creatures are always surrounding the true presence of God, and there's Jesus in the tabernacle, the cross, and then the tabernacle. And the true presence of God is in the scriptures, always, because it is his word. Jesus is the word, and this is his word recorded. And it's also in the tabernacle in the bread that we're going to see today when he does his first miracle, this big, 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 big miracle. The true presence of God and the living word of God, they are both the true presence of God. And Luke understands this. And he's one of the few that does because he's the only one that has this story in Luke 24 when they are walking to Emmaus after the resurrection. And they don't know who they're walking with. And it's Jesus Christ himself, but he looks different and they don't recognize him. And what does he do? He opens the scriptures to them and their hearts are burning within them. And it must have been some kind of scripture study because they hadn't even had the Holy Spirit yet. But yet their hearts are burning as he's making the connections for them. And it says he goes all the way through all the prophets. And, and they say, do you have to go yet? Can you come in? Can you come in and have dinner? And they only recognize him when? In the breaking of the bread. When he breaks the bread. When he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. They say, oh! He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread to them. Those four verbs are so important here. This is Eucharistic. This is Mass. He opened the word for them, liturgy of the word. Now he's opening the Eucharist to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And then he vanished out of their sight. Can you imagine? Then scripture said he vanished out of their sight. So he took the bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread, gave the bread. And Jesus is showing us tonight the first Eucharist when he fed 5,000. And it is veiled. I don't have, you know, exact verse for all this because it's woven through. It's veiled and it's for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And there are even Catholics today that don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And they're thinking about what they have to do after Mass and they're filing through the communion line. And they don't realize what is happening, the mystery that's happening in front of their eyes. You guys do. You're studying his word. You know his word. There was a Protestant woman on our silent four-day Ignatian retreat. And this one lady said to me, she said, I know it's silent. I, I don't mean to bother you, but where, what are we doing now? And I said, we're going to Mass because we had Mass every day. And she said, what is it? And I said, oh, I said, it's the book of Revelation. Come. And she said, what? And I said, it's just the book of Revelation. I said, but when you go up, you'll just want to do for communion. You're not in communion with the church. So you'll, you'll just put a cross over over your shoulders and the priest will give you a blessing. And, and she said, okay. And so I saw her and she went up and, and that night I thought I got to get her something. And I went down to the library and I found on the shelf, the book by Scott Hahn, the lamb supper. And I found her and I just silently handed it to her. And I said, you might want to read this on your retreat this weekend to understand mass better. And she said, okay. And she was there at every mass all four days and, and going up and, and it was really beautiful. So tonight, this is a foreshadowing of the Eucharist in Luke. And there were 5,000 men, 5,000. They sat down in companies of 50 in an orderly fashion. They all sat down. They're going to get bread. Now, Moses, who we'll see in the transfiguration, he provided bread from heaven, the manna, right? All those 40 years wandering, manna, 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 manna. But the people still had to labor for it. Every day they had to pick up the manna. Every day. <laughs> It's little. They had to go out, you know. Now, 
Adam also, after the fall, Adam had to labor for bread. He had to work for bread. It says in Genesis 3, in the curse of Adam, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So he's going to have to work for bread now too. He's going to have to labor for bread. But this new Moses, this new Adam tonight is going to provide free bread for for 5,000 people. They don't have to work for it. It's going to be hand delivered to them by these 12 guys. They don't need to labor for it. They don't need to pay for it. And that's why Isaiah says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? This is not normal bread tonight, folks. This is not a little boy sharing his lunch sermon. This is Eucharist. This is foreshadowing the Eucharist. And what did he do? He takes the five loaves. He looked up to heaven. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. Those same four Hebrew words. Take, bless, broke, gave. So just like at Emmaus, the same thing. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. It's Eucharist. That's what we do at Mass. And that's what he did at the Last Supper in Luke 22. He took the bread. When he had given thanks, he blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. And he said, what? This is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after supper saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's what mass commemorates every time. Bread, blessed, broken, and shared. Every time. And Jesus is truly present in both the living word and the living bread. He's the bread of life. And he's the word of life. And both of these have a dual nature. Jesus had a dual nature. The word also has a dual nature. Jesus is fully man. At St. Margaret Mary's, our old tabernacle just got cleaned up. It's the most beautiful one I've ever seen is the torso of Jesus on the tabernacle. On the side, it says, Eki homine, which means behold the man. It's what Pilate said, behold the man. This is the man in his human nature, but it's also fully human and fully God. Behold the man. Jesus is fully human and fully God. He has a dual nature. The scriptures also have a spiritual dual nature. They are God-breathed, fully God-breathed, but written by men, inspired men. Jesus spoke of this temple of his body. They don't need to rebuild the third temple. He said, I'm the temple. Ezekiel also was talking about building a third temple. He says, I'm the temple. Water gushes out of his side, just like in Ezekiel. He's the temple. And he told the woman at the well that now the hour's coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You're not going to have to go to Mount Gerizim anymore. And we're not going to have to go to Jerusalem anymore because all that's going to pass away because the true presence of God is going to be in every tabernacle in every Catholic church across the face of the world. There were 12 and they were worried about enough food. And now these 12, how are we going to split up this little lunch? But after Jesus did this miracle, they all ate and were satisfied and they took up what was left over and there were 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread. After everyone had had their fill, enough for one for each apostle. You were worried about getting enough? You can never outdo the generosity of God. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And why do you labor for what does not satisfy? Because only this bread can satisfy the deepest hunger that we have. Only this bread can heal us. And how about this word? Same passage of Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty until it accomplishes the purpose for which I sent it. So this living word is so powerful and this living bread is so powerful. It's quite a mystery, quite a mystery. And that's why the priest starts the mass by saying, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, prepare our heart soil and prepare ourselves to celebrate what? The sacred mysteries. 
And people say, why do Catholics always say everything's such a mystery? Well, it is a mystery. It's so, I mean, (laughs) there's not a verse for this. I can't give you a verse. You have to know the scriptures, though. Just as God commanded Moses to make an altar of incense for worship in the tabernacle, we use incense at the altar. And when the lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Intercessory prayer. The psalmist says, let my prayer be counted as incense before thee and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. And in his dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, De Verbum, a post-Vatican II document by this new saint, Paul VI, what did he say? Both the word and the body of Christ, both are fully Jesus. He said this, the church has always venerated the divine scriptures just as she venerates the body of the Lord. Since especially in the sacred liturgy, she unceasingly receives and offers to the faithful the bread of life from the table, both of God's word and of Christ's body, the word and the body. Don't ever throw your Bible down. Treat it so precious. It is the precious living word of God. Just like we would never, if we drop a crumb of Eucharist, we're, we're all over it. From the table of both God's word and his body. Next, we have Christ asking, who do you say I am? And this is a question that each of us have to ask ourselves. Who do you say he is? Who do you really say he is? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked this at Caesarea Philippi, where there was a plethora, a pantheon of gods, Roman and Greek gods. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. My father did. And I give you the keys. And you are rock. And I give you the keys. Here in Luke's gospel, very simple. Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. That's a title. It means anointed Messiah. I tell you truly, There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. That's a promise from Jesus Christ. So those in that generation, it's happening now. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God, and it'll be completed on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension back to the right hand of the Father. Where did the transfiguration happen? Origen in the third century said it was Mount Tabor, the traditional location. St. Cyril of Jerusalem agreed with him, as did St. Jerome. So there is a beautiful church, the Church of Transfiguration, on top of Mount Tabor. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James up to the mountain to pray. Peter, James, and John, they were the three that got to go into the house of Jarius when his daughter was raised from the dead. This seems They'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane also. These three seem to be the inner, inner ring of Jesus. You needed three male Jewish witnesses, remember? They've gone up to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became dazzling white. His appearance was altered. His face changed. Some translations say his face actually changed. His raiment became dazzling white. Mark says that his garment became glistening, intensely white, that no fuller on earth could bleach it this bright. Matthew says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. His face shone like the sun. And behold, there were two men talking with him, Moses and Elijah, the two greats, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Some translations say spoke of his exodus, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word exodus really helps us because we know what Moses did in the exodus. And we know that Elijah made a departure in a a fiery chariot. 
But I like to go to Revelation chapter 11, where there are two witnesses, two final witnesses. But then it says there are two lampstands and two olive trees. So there's really four. So what does this mean? It says that two witnesses will trample over the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days wearing sackcloth. Hmm. Well, 1,260 days is 42 months or 1,260 days or 3.5 years. And whose ministry lasted 3.5 years? Hmm. Jesus and John. John was six months ahead, a half a year ahead of Jesus, right? In fetal development. Both of them have a three and a half year ministry, Jesus and John the Baptist. But there are two olive trees and two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. Who are the four witnesses then? Two olive trees and two lampstands. One, it says, it gives us a clue. One of the other ones has the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the day of their prophesying. Who had a great big famine and was gathering sticks with the widow of Zarephath? Elisha. The other one, the clue is, this one has power over the waters to turn them to blood and smite the earth with every plague. Who might that be? Moses. So we have two lampstands and two olive trees, four witnesses, really two, but it's Moses and Elijah, Jesus and John. Moses and Elijah of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the new Moses, and John is the new Elijah, and they're really two witnesses because they're so similar. Jesus and John both have a counterpart in Moses and Elijah. And there who are there on the transfiguration tonight. When Jesus is transfigured in full glory, and so are they, Moses and Elijah are both present, and they hear God say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. These are the final witnesses left, because John has been beheaded by Herod. Jesus stands higher than any of these two Old Testament prophets. These are the final, he is the final witness, the greatest witness. He is the logos of God. Before the beginning of time, God had this idea to save man through Jesus, his son. So the final and greatest witness is Jesus, and he's flanked with these last two from the Old Testament, the last standing witness. And Peter and those who were with him, James and John, are heavy asleep, but they stay awake. One, two, three, three Jewish men for witnesses. Three in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three and three, and these two other witnesses, Elijah and Moses. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it, um, it's all well that we are here. Let's make three booths. Uh, he doesn't know what he's saying, but some commentators say it might have been the Feast of Tabernacles where they actually made booths. You know, they had the tents, they, they commemorated or it might have just been the glory of the moment and he didn't want it to end. He wanted it to last forever. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And he said this, and a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. A cloud had overshadowed Mary, remember, in Luke chapter 1. That's Holy Spirit when the cloud comes. And they were afraid and they entered into the cloud. Such a mystery, such an unknown. Who else in the Old Testament got to enter into a cloud? In Exodus 19, the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I am coming in a thick cloud that the people may hear you when I speak and that they may believe forever. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a very thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp were trembling. 
Remember that? And Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. They're on a mountain today and a cloud has covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh, he called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud. The appearance of glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain inside of the people of Israel. And Moses entered into the cloud, went up on the mountain and stayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And what would Moses look like after he had been speaking with God? When he came back down, what would he always look like? He's shining so bright that people are like, ah, he's so bright. Can you veil your face? You're hurting our eyes. Because he's just, he's not God. He's not divinity, but he's reflecting the glory of God. That's how bright it is. Jesus actually is the glory of God. He's not reflecting anyone but himself and the Trinity. So Moses would shine bright when he'd talk with God. And some of the artists you've seen in their sculptures of Moses, Moses is described as having rays of the skin of his face because Jerome translated it to horns instead, radiating. It's the word Karen, and it means either radiated or grew horns. And the translators did grow horns, but it really means that the light of God was radiating out of Moses after he had talked to the Lord. So they aren't supposed to be horns. Even Michelangelo got the translation, the old translation of the horns instead of the light. Okay, so they're on the mountain. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Similar to the baptism, the baptism, there's a theophany, the transfiguration, there's a theophany. The baptism, he's more in his humanity. He's submitting to a baptism by John. This, he's in his absolute glory. He's in his full divinity. So we see the two natures and we see the full theophany and it's a sign for those three eyewitnesses that he's God. Listen to him. And you know, to the Hebrews, listen means hear and obey. It's, it's both. Follow him. Do what he says. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything that they had seen. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent. Okay. Moses was the reflection of God's light. Jesus is true light from true light. Jesus blinds Paul. The light of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus blinds Paul for three days. And he always had eye problems after that. Jesus is light, bright light in his divinity. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Last thing, they go to a Samaritan village now. They've been going to Jewish villages. And the Samaritan people would not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. No, we worship in Jerusalem. And you're you're going towards Jerusalem. We, uh, uh, We won't have anything to do with you. And those disciples, James and John, they're all fired up. And they say, do you want us to have fire come down from heaven and consume them? Because you know who they had just seen? Elijah. And that's what Elijah did. He set down fire and and, and consumed 15 men. You want us to do that, Lord? We got the power. And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Jesus is preparing for his exodus. And he has set his face toward Jerusalem. And we will travel with him next week. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for this beautiful Holy Spirit, St. Luke, that has seen so many connections. And he's not even Jewish. And he just sees it in a different way. And we praise you and thank you for him. And we thank you, Jesus, for being our teacher and Holy Spirit and this living word of God. And we're just so thankful to have it in our hands. And may we go out now this week and live it and not be ashamed of your gospel, Lord Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 9, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net.
Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.